Welcome to Demand Does the Six Questions, where the same six questions can tell a unique story. I am your host, Demond, father of two, husband of one, and leader of this here Demondcast. My guest is a renaissance man of gaming. He has created triple-A video games that you've heard of for companies such as Namco and Capcom, and also worked at a small company called Disney. He's an author of Level Up, The Guide to Great Video Game Design, and Swipe This, The Guide to Great Touchscreen Game Design. He also teaches at the University of Southern California and the New York Film Academy, where he teaches video and tabletop game design. Ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for Scott, I'm not Captain America, Rogers! Uh, what an intro. I don't think I've ever had a more spectacular one. How are you doing, Devon? I am fabulous. I am fabulous. Thank you for taking time out to talk to a perfect stranger. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, you know, that's the great thing about the times in which we live is that technology allows us to go from perfect strangers to who knows, you know, maybe the, the greatest of friends. Before we get into the, the six questions, where you want to be found on the interwebs? Oh, my gosh. I am all over the place. I mostly can be found on the usual places, Twitter and Instagram under Mighty Bedbug. I'm on Facebook, of course. Um, I am on LinkedIn. I have a couple of podcasts besides this one. One is a, um, a podcast called Ludology. And it's about tabletop gaming and another one called Fillery and Father, which is about a TV show called The Magicians. It's a kind of an after show that I do with my daughter. Oh, right on. That sounds like that yeah. sounds awesome. Scott Rogers. Are you ready to answer the six questions? I am. Question number one. When did you know you wanted to be a game designer? Hmm. So it's a funny thing that I didn't even realize that was a job you could do, game design. I grew up in San Diego, California, and I would go every year to San Diego Comic Convention. And I wanted to make comic books. That was what I wanted to do growing up. And so I kind of pointed myself in that direction, although around high school going into college I realized that I wasn't as good as an artist as I thought I was mm. and I, I went to college for art and studied illustration and, and that I went to Cal State Long Beach and they had a fantastic film department and so I double majored in film and art and then I ended up doing screenwriting and I thought then I was going to do something like that so when I graduated, I wasn't looking for you know, any sort of game job. I was mostly looking for things in the film industry. And I kind of fell backwards into the job, but not as a game designer, as an artist. The person that sent me to you, Bill Roper, his, a friend, a mutual friend of ours, a fellow named Stu Rose, worked for this video game company, and they were looking for artists. And he ran into me in a coffee shop and said, 
uh, hey, do you know how to draw? And I said, yeah. And he said, do you know how to draw on a computer? And I said, yeah. And I one thing kind of led to another, and I ended up working in the game industry as an artist. And I, the, when I started working in games, it was the era of the Super Nintendo and the Sega uh, Genesis. And these are 16-bit machines. And the way that you would create art was pixel by pixel. And I found it to be a very tedious way to draw things. Um, it was like laying bathroom tile rather than drawing. And I, uh, one day I was, I was laying tile as it were, and I heard some laughing in the cubicles next to me. And I poked my head up over the wall of the cubicle and I saw these guys on the team yucking it up. And they were all the game designers. And I'm like, those guys look like they're having way more fun making games than I am. And I marched over there and I said, you know what? I think I'm better suited to be a game designer. What do I need to do to do it? And one of them, a fellow named Bill Anderson, took me under his wing and said, all right, I'll, if you do all the art that I – essentially, I did his homework for the next six months. And <laughs> he said, if you do my – draw my maps and, and storyboard gameplay and things like that, I'll teach you how to make games, how to design games. And I said, that sounds like a good deal to me. And, and I – once I kind of left that job, I ended up taking a job as a game designer, and I kind of never looked back ever since. <laughs> That's so you kind of apprenticed for uh, Bill, right? He was a game designer who had worked on games like Disney's Aladdin and Cool Spot, uh, all the great Disney games that Virgin put out in the 90s, the mid 90s. Mm-hmm. You know, he knew a lot about making video games at that time. And I just was like a sponge and was just trying to absorb as much about it as I could. Question number two. What do you wish you had known when you first started out? It's a lesson that I think I'm still learning, which is that you don't need other people to invite you to make games. You can make a game out of anything, really. But more importantly, and more recently, and when I say recently, I mean within the past 15 years, so it's not really that recent. You can make a game by yourself or with very few people. When I when I first started in gaming, you needed big teams, you needed lots of money and lots of equipment. Fortunately, all three of those things are no longer the case. You don't need a lot of people to make a game. You definitely don't need a big budget to make a game. And you, fortunately, the tools to make games now, many of them are free. As a matter of fact, many of professional level tools are free. So if you demand were like, hey, I've got this great idea for a video game, you could literally build something in a few hours and play it. Now, if you wanted to make something that is finger quote professional quality, it takes a little longer, but totally doable. And I at first thought, oh, I have to go work for a big company and I have to you know, put in all these hours and I have to, you know, slave away. I mean, it's great. It, making video games is awesome, but it's also a very hard work. And I ended up doing well and and making games that people played and bought. And I made a lot of companies a lot of money, but I unfortunately didn't, you know, get my cut of it. I was just part of the of the machine. I got my, you know, my salary and my health care and all that. But but I wasn't driving around in a Maserati like some other game creators were. 
if you want to make games, it doesn't matter. You can just make games. If you want to be successful at making games, the best way to do it is to do it for yourself. Make the games that you want to make, and that way you get to express your creativity rather than having you having to bend your creativity to someone else's ideas and characters and worlds and things like that. Does that apply to board games as well as video games? <laughs> I equate making video games like making a movie and making board games like writing a book. So the audiences are very similar and making a board game is often a solitary experience until you bring it to a publisher. Then the publisher hopefully has development and so they will make it better. So much like how a book author writes the first draft and then submits it to an editor and the editor then goes through and kind of says, look, this isn't very good or I don't know what you mean by this or whatever. And they provide extremely helpful advice and, and push you in a direction to craft the product to a much more consumer-friendly version. The same is true with game design. You might create a game and it might not look very nice. It might be very crude looking, but then the developer will take it and hire artists or hire maybe even writers or, or and definitely bring in developers to improve it so that way it's essentially ready for, for public consumption. I could make a game, I could make something playable that we could sit down and play and enjoy. But if I want it to be something that I can sell and make you know, a profit on or royalties or whatever, uh, then that's a different case. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, just about the level of commitment and how many more people you add onto the team. and I mean, it totally depends on project to project as well, sure. right? Like, that's true. Like it, it, it depends on the needs of the game. If I'm doing a little card game, I'm not going to need as many people as if I'm doing a big miniatures-based game or something like that. Question number three. What is your go-to order at your favorite hometown restaurant? The sad truth is my favorite hometown restaurant doesn't exist anymore. It has been wiped clean from the face of the earth. It was a place called Potsticker King in San Jose, well, actually in Cupertino, California, which is in the Bay Area. That's not my hometown, but I spent enough years there to kind of think of it as such. It was a great little restaurant called Potsticker King, and they had a wonderful lunch special that was uh, Szechuan chicken and fried rice and two potstickers and a little bowl of hot and sour soup. I used to call that my death row meal, that if I ever committed a crime that would land me on death row, that would be the thing I'd say, all right, that's what I want for my last meal. But now, obviously, I cannot commit any crimes that will land me on death row because I do not have a meal to take its place. And you'll just die hungry. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> You're a gamer, so what kind of snack foods do you like? Sweet things. I like salty things. I like chips but like kettle chips crunchy stuff i like salt and vinegar chips or jalapeno chips chocolate snack cakes like zingers Ooh, <laughs> i haven't had those in a while uh they have like chocolate zingers there's also the raspberry ones are pretty good too i really shouldn't be eating those anymore because i'm diabetic so i should keep away from that stuff if anybody has any sugar-free recipes for zingers 
please <laughs> email demondas all one word at gmail.com. We're gonna figure out how to make that happen. Question number four. What are you curious about? It behooves me to be curious about a lot of different things, particularly because one of the great things about making board games is you can make it about anything. So there are board games, not just about armies fighting each other or fantasy characters going on adventures or, you know, people exploring haunted houses, but there are games about birds and games about gemstones and games about archaeology and games about the weather games about famous literature and things like that. And so I'm always looking for content. Uh, Like if I hear of interesting historical things, uh, I saw this one article, it was like the worst year in European history. And it was like 15, like 83 or something like that. And there was like this, I forget, it was like in the middle of the plague, but then there was like all these weird natural events that had happened. And it was just like this really terrible year for this part of England. And I'm like, oh, that could make for an interesting game, right? You could have this game where all this terrible stuff is going on and you're trying to just survive it. You know, that's that could be fun. I think I'm also really especially curious about people. It's funny. I, I say that people are the worst, but I mean that as like a global sense. Individuals are fine. People are terrible. Individuals are great. Question. Number five, is there anything I should have asked but didn't? (laughs) Seems a little premature, right? That's only the fifth question in. Um, (laughs) If you want to learn who I am, read my book and watch my movie. (laughs) But the fact is I have written a book on game design called Level Up, The Guide to Great Video Game Design. Now, there's another one called Swipe This Touchscreen, but Level Up is always the best one to start with. Plus, it has... Uh, what I think is a wonderful chili recipe uh, in it. So if you like chili, this is the best chili recipe you'll find in a game design book. The movie documentary film called Game Master, I, along with four other game designers, uh, were kind of followed around and interviewed, and we talk about the games that we were making at the time. And it was a wonderful experience. You know, it's a good little gateway for people that are interested in board games and don't know how they're made and, and you know, have questions about, you know, what it's like for a creative person to have an idea and, and turn it into this thing that you can buy. I had a lot of fun working on it. I, I was very uh, pleased. They even actually created some little animated sequences. So there's an animated version of me cool. walking around, which really was very charming. That's awesome. Um, and, yeah, it was great. Um, so, But ironically, not the first time I've been animated, actually. I was in a, a video game that I designed called Maximo, and I have a cameo in that I'm a, a guard who gets tortured to death. But <laughs> that's what you didn't ask me about, is the film that I'm in, uh, is Game Master, which you can, I think you can watch on like Amazon Prime, and, and you can rent it, and I think you can buy DVD of it. I didn't, I can completely missed it. I had a movie star, too. <laughs> I'm not a star, Demond, but I do say I am well-known. There's a difference. That's fair. This That's fair. Well-known doesn't get you a seat at Spagos. Question 
number six. If you could create a new holiday, what would it commemorate? My favorite holiday right now is Halloween. What I love about Halloween is a few things. One is I love, it's really become, at least here in Los Angeles, it's a celebration of the imagination. People will, they will make haunted houses in their garages and they will make very uh, awesome costumes or whatever, right? So there's that kind of passion and creativity. And, and I love, I used to, when I had a house that I could fit a haunted house into, I still do my front yard every year, or I don't really have a yard, I have a porch, but I still do my porch every year. But I used to love doing haunted houses and I would, um, you know, just uh, you do this, you put all this work into something and then you just for free, you let people go through it and, and enjoy it. The other part I love about Halloween is I love the message of it's okay to be scared sometimes. And as long as it's safe, that idea of safe scares. And that's what video games promote. That's what theme parks promote. That's what board games promote. That's what good books or movies promote, right? And these are all things that I love. It has an edge to it, right? Halloween has a little bit of an edge. And that, of course, is what sets some people off, right? They, you know, oh, it's witchcraft or devil worship or whatever, right? Well, if you want to think of it as that, unfortunately, I can't stop you. But that's not what it's about. I hate to say it, but there is, it's fun to scare people. And it is fun to get scared sometimes, right? But, uh, you know, responsibly, of course. But um, but still, I, I think it is fun to scare people. <laughs> but that's it. All right. So that, but that's not the holiday I necessarily want to create. So my other favorite holiday is Christmas. Now, let's set aside the secular aspects of both Halloween and Christmas for a second, because they are both originally secular holidays. What I love about Christmas is, you know, what they call the Christmas spirit. And I love the idea of giving gifts selflessly. That's my favorite part of Christmas. I love participating in Secret Santa type events. I usually have about five or six Secret Santas that I participate in every Christmas, just because I love doing it. And I, and I particularly love the notion of learning about a person and trying to find, you know, the perfect gift. It's not like a consumerism thing for me. It's just more about you're delighting them because you're giving them something that they didn't expect or that they really wanted and never thought they would get or whatever, right? It's not a money thing. It's a, often it's a creativity thing. So if I could create any holiday, it would be some sort of celebration of cre creativity that would have an element of building like a haunted house type thing where you, you know, it's an environment that is themed that has, you know, theatrical elements to it or whatever, special effects or, or any of that fun stuff. But it also had this kind of mystery gift giving element to it as well. Maybe it's the celebration of the white elephant or something like that. Although I don't, um, I don't like white elephant gifts because often people use it as an excuse to kind of give people bad gifts. I don't like the, haha, you got the jar of pig's feet, you know, well, I got the, you know, the really cool board game or whatever. So it would be something that is a, a celebration of creativity with a, a decorating, home decorating component to it. But then it also would have a gift, like a secret gift giving element to it. That sounds cool as hell. <laughs> <laughs> Any ideas for a name? Oh, gosh, no. Considering I just thought of it. No, I don't. But 
who knows, maybe I'll uh, see. I mean, the thing is, I have to you have to tie it into something, right? Like, you know, all the the modern holidays, you know, and they're they're trust me in another. I predict in another 10 years that some of these will be like hallmark holidays. So I'm talking about things like may the fourth be with you, you know, that, that star Wars day, right. Or talk like a pirate day or, you know, something like these kind of fun, nerdy, um, you know, I'm sure there already are like happy talk like a pirate day cards or, or may the fourth card. Some hallmarks got to capitalize on that. Right. They got the rights to star Wars. They've got a, They've got to have made May the 4th be with you cards. But I think that um, it needs it needs one other element to that, and that is that recognizable theme or character or something, right? Now, you know, Star Wars is a it's a brand and, and talk like a pirate, you know, pirates are a thing, right? Or uh, you know, it has to be aspirational, right? You, you want to be able to participate in it. So, you know, if you like pirates, then of course you're going to celebrate Talk Like a Pirate Day. If you love Star Wars, you're going to celebrate, you know, Star Wars Day and, and you know, and all that. So it would need that, you know, kind of a uh, some sort of brand recognition element to it. And that's when it gets gross, right? <laughs> so, so who knows? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that just, kill, that just kills my holiday idea right there. Yeah, we'll, we'll just keep, uh, yeah, we'll keep uh, capitalism out of we'll, it and we'll figure something else we'll out. Keep, We'll keep workshopping. The final word. Good ideas are very common. You know, they used to say they're a dime a dozen. And you cannot be precious with them, right? Because they're cheap. Unfortunately, things that are cheap are usually not of value. So what you have to do is take that idea and you have to, you have to finish it. That's where the value is. The value is in the fact of not that you have the idea, not that you are working on the idea, but that you have done the idea. There's a there's a quote that my friend, um, who's a comedian, she says, "I would have rather written a book than write one." And I and having written two books, I agree with her. It is much easier to kind of coast on your your past creations, but. But that said, it feels really good to have finished things. And a lot of people, creative people, will get discouraged uh, because they might say, well, something like that already exists. So one of the things that I I do for fun uh, is I take action figures and I carve them up and let's re-sculpt them and, and do horrible things to them and turn them into other characters that maybe don't exist, right? So maybe they're either original people or they're little characters that maybe don't nobody had ever made a figure of. And one year I had an idea because there was this action figure that was like, you'd find it all over the place. And the collectors were like, oh, so sick of seeing this figure everywhere. You know, I already bought it well, you know, a year ago, but it's still hanging around on the shelf. So I said, all right, here's what we're going to do. Each of you is going to buy one of these figures. So A, gets rid of it off the shelf. So that way it'll make room for something new. But B, you're going to turn that figure into whatever other character you want. It can be anything you want. Just do it. And I had like 30 people participate in this. And of course, what happened was everybody made something different because their experiences are different. Their interests are different. Their talent is different. I guess that's the best bit of advice, which is 
the secret weapon about creativity, your best weapon is you. And I know that, you know, there are movies and, and, you know, people are like, oh, you're, you know, you're not a little snowflake and you're not, you know, who cares, you know, all this stuff. But, but no, it's our experiences and our, our thoughts and our creativity and our way of viewing the world that makes whatever we create different and unique. And so that's the thing to, to kind of keep yourself going. I, even if you have a good idea and you find out that someone else has made it, don't let that stop you. Just keep going, but get it done. That's that's the second half of it, right? Getting it done. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you. And thank you. And if you like this episode, let us know by clicking on the purple icon and logging into Apple Podcasts. Leave a five-star review and rating. The review doesn't have to say much unless it's a sugar-free zinger recipe. Also, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at DamonDoes, or you can email me directly at DamonDoes, all one word, at gmail.com. So, until next time, test negative and stay positive.